truth is when you're trying to teach people how to write, how to reason, sometimes it is good to start with formulas. It is good to start with boundaries. Boundaries then let you be very creative within those boundaries. Are you angsting over the potential impact of generative AI on your work? Are you hyper-dialed into ethical considerations around the potential for copyright infringement, data ownership and authorship when you're using generative AI tools like ChatGPT? Whatever your questions or concerns are about generative AI, this technology is poised to transform how we create continuing education content for health professionals. Today's episode is the first in a three-part series of episodes that focus on writing, reasoning, and the ethical considerations surrounding generative AI. My guest is Nuria Nagrau, medical writer and generative AI expert, who's been playing with AI tools since ChatGPT burst onto the horizon. We review different ways to use Gen AI tools like Bing and Bard for tasks like summarization and identifying key points, and touch on copyright issues using OpenAI's API and how to use generative AI to create formulas that support scientific writing. And we also explore the value of bringing a human perspective and cultural knowledge into the writing and content creation process and the potential benefits and legal challenges of using AI tools. And thanks to listeners Marissa denoble Loeffler and Deline Bieland for their questions on the legal and ethical implications of submitting one's own text for analysis by AI and observations about the inaccuracies that tools like ChatGPT continue to generate. We touch on these points in our conversation today. Welcome to Write Medicine, where we explore best practices in creating continuing education content for health professionals. I'm Alex Housen, and I'm on a mission to share expert insights and field perspectives on topics like adult learning, content creation techniques, effective formats, and trends in healthcare that influence the type of content we create. Right Medicine is the premier podcast for CME, CPD professionals like you, wherever you are in the content creation process. Join us. Before we jump into today's conversation, don't forget that when you subscribe to Write Medicine, you never have to miss an episode. And when you subscribe to the Write Medicine Insider, you'll get access to additional tips, strategies and resources to level up your approach to content creation. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and sign up for my newsletter via the link in the show notes. Welcome, Nuria. So happy to see you here. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Alex, so much for inviting me. And I'm, I'm really excited about our conversation today. Yeah, I am too. I think, I think some other people are as well, because uh, we have a bunch of listener questions to address today, which I'm very excited about. But let's start a little bit about your story in terms of who you are and what you do and how you got into exploring AI tools. All right. Okay. So I, I am a freelance medical writer. I work 
primarily on continuing education in the continuing education field. I also do uh, some other work, so some journalism, some publications, and and that sort of thing. But mostly, and I think I'm narrowing more and more into continuing education. I think that's where the sweet spot of everything that I like and everything that I'm good at kind of combines. And uh, how I got into AI. So I'm a, I'm a technology enthusiast, and I think that has a mm. lot to do with how I got into AI. But really what happened was I was seeing on on my social media, so uh, primarily on Twitter, the the image generation, the topic, like the conversations on the image generation AIs. And I was like, okay, that's interesting, but I'm not a graphic designer. But then uh, when ChatGPT came out and, uh, and I tried it last year, <laughs> shortly after it came out, I was like, ooh, this is good. This is good. <laughs> and this is going to be, this is going to make a difference. I immediately tried to use it to see what it could do. And I found that it wasn't, uh, as many people have said, like it, it cannot write everything from scratch. But I was like, hmm, but I wonder what can it do? And I immediately tried to see like, can I actually get it to do something that is interesting? And then, I mean, since November of last year, it has changed so fast and so many other things have come on that I, my excitement has not gone down. <laughs> it has been like, I am still interested and I, I still think that this is huge, that this is going to transform the way we all work and the way we all do many things. But the way for us, like as writers, as content crea creators, I think this is really going to, to transform what we do. I definitely want to sort of dig into that and what that transformation might look like. But I, I've kind of felt that sense of shift over the last year myself. I am, I'm not a technology enthusiast, but I've had to do a lot of technology learning over the last few years, you know, partly with the podcast or, you know, recording and editing and video tools and all those sorts of things. So I'm a little less Luddite <laughs> about it than I used to be in the past. But I've noticed a kind of shift in my thinking around AI from I'll explore it and tinker with it, but I'm not terribly interested in it and I'm not sure how it's going to affect my work to a position of, oh yeah, absolutely. There's no going back. This is something that it's here to stay. It's going to, it's going to be hugely transformative, I think, in, in terms of, of how we work. And, and the sorts of questions that we ask. And so let me kind of circle back to one of the things that you said, you know, right at the beginning, you're a technology enthusiast. You thought that generative AI looked like it was going to be interesting. Let's see what it can produce. So what kinds of questions were you tinkering with and asking in those early phases? You know, let's see what gen AI can do. So, uh, so in the beginning, I, I was asking, I guess, the same type of question that everyone was, I cannot do my job. Not, <laughs> honestly, in the beginning, not from a fear. My first thought was, if this thing can do my job, I'm, I'm, I'm gold, <laughs> you know? It was only later that I was like, wait, no, if this thing can do my job, it might be bad for me. But my first instinct was like, can I just review can i ask it to do everything and i just review it and do quality control and is that good enough 
that was my first thing. The one of the first few things that I wanted it to do once I realized no, eh, it's not a very good um it doesn't do big jobs uh, well, at least in the beginning. It's it's getting better, but let's start like in the beginning. I was like, okay, but can it summarize well, right? Because I would ask mm-hmm. it, so like, I would ask it like uh, about a disease. Uh, uh, say I got a disease, I got a work or job and a disease that I'd never heard about. And I'd ask it about that disease. And it would give me good, better than Wikipedia kind of intro article. And and I felt, so this might be good at summarizing uh, and, and extracting key points. So then I started, what I started doing was like copy pasting texts pieces of text and and asking mm-hmm. it to summarize it for me asking it to extract key points and this was like a, this was still last year all right so it th- there weren't like a million and one guides out there about how to how to get it to do a better job or anything like that but that is really how I started with it I was like okay uh write me something on this it wasn't very good okay let's uh, try and tinker with it. Let's let's push it. Let's see where it's going to go. So th- that's how I started working with it. Really in the summarizing and extracting main points. Mm-hmm. And how has that shifted? And, and before you answer that question, I really like the way that you phrased that in terms of let's push it because behind that phrase, I think lies, you know, a skill set of, I already know what I need to get from this technology, and I understand that it's going to make things more efficient, faster. M- you know, maybe there's some, some quality control to do, at, you know, 100%. Versus, well, I guess the point I'm making there is that, that you already have the questions that you want to ask, whether you're asking generative mm-hmm. AI Maybe, maybe you're taking those questions to the literature or some other source. And that's really key. And so for people who are kind of starting off with Gen AI and don't really, they don't know what their process would be without Gen AI, then that's going to be a much heavier lift in terms of learning how to use this new technology. Would you agree with that? Or do you have a different perspective on that? Yes, I, I, I think so. I think, so, so one of, the big things that you get from people is I asked it to write something for me and uh, it, the first few sentences looked good, but then when I read further, it was a total junk or whatever. And, <laughs> and my answer to that, my feeling about that is always, yes, you are right, but what you're asking it to do is the wrong thing. Right. Yeah, and, and, and people don't go beyond that. So I don't know if people are just doing these trials to assure themselves that they are not replaceable or if they genuinely want it to work. Because when I started at the beginning, I think I have this mentality, maybe. I think the true mentality is to, okay, let's break it down. So it cannot do the big task. Okay, but what are the, the, the steps? And can it do any of the steps? And that is how I approached it, right? And I feel that that is how you should uh, approach it. But you need to think about what the steps would be. And one thing that now we know, because so many people have been teaching, like all of these people are teaching us how to use it, is that you can actually ask it to figure out with you what the steps are. 
right? So someone who doesn't understand their own process and never used it, my first exercise, if I do an exercise with them, I would start with uh, showing it how ChatGPT can help them figure out a process and then go from there. Yeah, so I think that's a great point. If you don't know what your own process is, it's going to be really, ch- it's a heavy lift to kind of figure out how you're going to get to, how you're going to get this new technology to, to help you. So that's a great kind of first, a first step. Are you, are you, are you kind of coaching people on how to use generative AI? I am not, but I'm thinking about <laughs> starting uh, something like that yet, but I, I'm not yet. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, a, a great, a great idea. So, in terms of how you're using generative AI, can you describe some use cases that are particularly valuable? Yes. Uh, so I, I think the, the number one thing that I think it, it does well is summarize information mm-hmm. and give you the main points. And that's improved. Yes. For sure. Yes. Yeah. So if it does nothing else, it, if it can read papers quickly, which it can, and quickly extract information from papers, I think that that's very useful. If there are some AI PDF readers out there that you can ask questions of the PDF. So if you are in the middle of writing and you need to know where in the paper, you know it was in this study or in this paper, but you don't know where, and instead of having to like scan it manually, you ask the AI, where is this information? And it can find it to you in seconds. That's going to speed up your process no matter what. So there was, I forget the name, there was a, an AI that I used to use for that, but a ChatGPT. So it, in mine, it hasn't, this capability is not there yet, but I know it can now, you can now upload PDFs. So you might be able to do that. And with other, with Claude, uh, with Claude's AI, you can upload PDFs. So there are quite a few now. And if you open PDF on Microsoft Edge, you can use Bing directly. So there are, there are various tools to do this. And I think like if nothing else, this for someone who works with a lot of papers and has to extract information from papers, Mm. this, like this saves a lot of time. So that's one thing. Another thing that I use it a lot for is with, with clients that are okay with it is to improve the language of the learning objectives, improve the language of the gaps, improve the language of the expected outcomes to give me suggestions for titles, mm. to write summaries, like one paragraph summaries to uh, things like that. It will make, it can make, but your, your client needs to be okay with that. <laughs> it will make your work much more consistent and much more clear. Yes. Uh, another thing that again, now, so we're talking about, I'm talking about on the web generative AI. I'm not talking about systems that you have on your own computer. So you need to be really careful with privacy and, and copyright issues, but. Mm-hmm. If you, we'll if it is text where you're not worried about copyright, right? And you can upload it and ask it to give you a table with areas to suggest, examples of how to suggest and why it would be good to, to, to make uh, areas to improve, 
examples of how to improve and why it would be good to improve, then you can go and you can be the writer and make the improvements. Do you see what I mean? So, so these are like all things where I, I feel like these are like, it can really help. What I haven't done a lot, but I've, I will start doing again because in the beginning it wasn't really good. Bard and Bing weren't very good and ChatGPT mm. didn't have access to the internet. But people, I've been hearing lots of people say that they are doing this and it is actually good. Is going to Bard or Bing and ask for, give me the, like, what are the newest updates on this? Uh, what are the competitors to this? Just asking more of those questions where before it, uh, it wasn't good at doing because but now Bard and Bing are both better at doing that. So that can also help a lot because instead of spending 20 minutes researching, you have it in seconds. And at least I think you need to go verify, but at least you have like a starting point. Yeah. So you're, you're kind of using it like a research assistant to kind of pull together the data that you're going to, or the information that you're going to have to kind of look at and yes. really dig into. But mm-hmm. it's it speeds up that that process. And yeah, I, I agree. I, I do think that's a kind of useful, a valuable use case. Mm-hmm. But you, you mentioned copyright, you mentioned clients being okay with what you're doing. So can we talk a little bit about how you handle that client conversation around using generative AI? Are you, do you feel that you're generally working with clients who are kind of receptive to exploring its capabilities or are you finding pushback? I think there's everything. <laughs> there's a little <laughs> bit of everything. There are people that are receptive. There are people that say you cannot use AI, end of story. And I say, okay, but what if we use it to get better titles? And then they're like, oh, you can use it for titles. So what they mean Mm -hmm. is they don't want you to write the whole thing with AI, Mm -hmm. which fair enough. But then there are people who are like, uh, no, really, like AI is the worst thing in the world. And no. So you get a, a little bit of everything as with everything. I was to, uh, the IS, MPP just published like a, a guidance document of how to use AI for its members. So that's the Publications Association. And one of the things that they highlight in that guidance document was transparency. So being very transparent. And they said like maybe in the beginning now of this process or in the next few months, <laughs> I guess, extra communication might be warranted. So like really saying like, can I use for this? Can I use for that? I used it for that. This is how I used it mm. is, I think, a, a part of the conversation that you should be having. The good thing about working in a, in a, a continuing medical education is that well, we're not really working with trade secrets in general, right? This is all stuff that has been approved, uh, has been published. So, so we don't have that issue, which people uh, who are working in regulatory or in publications or mm-hmm. in other areas, they might have. So that's one thing. And then one thing that has not been tested legally, and when we would have to see, but I wouldn't recommend, I don't think, yeah, I wouldn't recommend anyone to take verbatim what these models produce and try to publish that, is if the model produced it, does the model own the copyright to that text? So that is a question, right? But if you are, if it's more of a collaborative thing and, and the end result really is not what the model produced, 
then I think it doesn't own the copyright. Then I think it's more acceptable because that would be a problem if what you are producing for a client is something that will be published that then someone like published online, right? If it is something that is not even going to go online, which a lot of stuff isn't, or, or then like, who cares? A little bit, right? So it, it really depends on what we are talking about here. And then, uh, yes. And because these things are not secret, yes, if you put in information, but you're not putting any secret information into it, it will, maybe it might spit it out on someone else's computer, like incorporate what you added into a response that it gives to someone else. Yes, that is true. But because we're not working with trade secrets, does it matter? So like all of these things that are, you need to think about and you need to be careful, but uh, yes, but th- this are like all the questions that I'm constantly like playing through my mind. Mm. Yeah. And that's where the transparency really comes in, in terms of having those conversations with the people that you're, you're working with, because, because there are so many gray areas there in terms of, I mean, there's still gray areas in terms of copyright when things are kind of going into the public domain you know, if you're writing something that's going to be in the public domain, but there are also areas of copyright grayness and downright problematicness mm-hmm. in terms of, as you described, the information that you're getting from generative AI is information that it has scraped from all sorts of sources, which may or may not be bound by copyright. And so then you're kind of using that information in material that you're producing whether or not it's for public consumption. And so I think there's a lot of grayness there for sure. This episode of Right Medicine is brought to you by Right CME Pro, a membership-driven community that provides skills, scaffolding and support for medical writers who want to create CME content with confidence. Write CME Pro gives you access to expert perspectives to help you build your CME writing skills, a portfolio accelerator to hold space so that you can create stunning samples to show your prospects, group coaching to help you build foundational and expert knowledge in CME, and more. Write CME Pro is a community for people like you who are ready to grow their CME writing niche, or niche, if that's how you say it. See the show notes for more details. And then maybe this is a good time to ask a specific listener question around those kind of ethical implications. Marissa DeNoble Loeffler, who's a science and medical writer at Noble Biomed Writing LLC, asks, what are the legal and ethical implications of submitting your own text for analysis by generative AI? Does your text get retained by the AI? And is that problematic if you then submit that text to a client? So, so the answer is it depends, <laughs> like a lot of answers here. But let's think about it a little bit step by step. So you're, you're, you're putting your own stuff into the AI. Does the AI retain it? It depends. Some do, some don't. You can... Uh, for example, if you let's talk about specifically about ChatGPT, you can ask it not to retain it, and then we need to trust that it doesn't. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
all of the 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 um, so some say they do some say they don't okay so let me put yeah, it yeah i've I think, read that I think, there are question marks around yeah. that trust yeah so so i think that that's important the only real safe solution would be if you have your own model on your computer which if you're a freelance writer you're not going to have if you are in a in a company i know regulatory companies are are really investing in their own or buying their products out there a million now a million is an exaggeration but at least 15 or 20 that are producing ais that will be in-house so they will be housed in the company so that does not go to the internet so that is the answer right the answer is it depends how much it goes to the internet it depends and the only way to be sure that it's not going to the internet is if you have your own in-house thing if you like a more safe way would be you could you could use the API. So the API, let's think about the API as the brains <laughs> of ChatGPT. So you could use that in your own model. So you'd need to be a little bit savvy and and then run your stuff with your own API. Then I mean, it doesn't make it fail, uh, fail proof because you're still using uh, OpenAI's API and you're still using the web. You're not downloading that brain into your computer. So it is still not fail proof, but that I think is a more, it's safer than uh, interacting with ChatGPT directly. That's the, the, the best answer I can give you on that. So then you need to ask yourself, does it matter or not? Right. So again, if you're dealing with trade secrets, just don't. <laughs> I wouldn't. Yeah. So the the tightness of integrity of the content itself depends or determines whether you can really feed that content into generative AI and, you know, ask it questions to help you make something new and different from the material that you're you're feeding it, it sounds like. Yes. Now, if you put your text in, let's say this is not a secret and it's going to be published tomorrow. So you actually don't care if uh, ChatGPT reads it before everyone else tomorrow because whatever, it's going to be published tomorrow. So who cares? But you wrote and then ChatGPT suggested three or four edits or even suggested extensive edits, but, uh, but the, the end result is a mixture of you and ChatGPT's work. I don't think OpenAI, like it, just from the way copyright works, I don't think OpenAI does not own the copyright to that. So, so now the worry is if you give it to ChatGPT, does ChatGPT not own this? And I don't think it does. If, Ch if you give it like these are the instructions and these are the details, please write. And then it writes, and then you take that and you want to publish that, then OpenAI might come at you <laughs> and say, well, that's mine. I don't know if they will. I don't know that, that it's in, that it's in their best interest to do that, mm. but they might. So, but because then ChatGPT really generated the full thing, right? But mm -hmm. on the other hand, if you do what I said, uh, that you should like, uh, that you could do, which is you put your, your article, and you say to ChatGPT, please read this article uh, as a, an experience, like 20-year career in a medical writing, uh, writing content that is uh, 
foolproof and like really engaging and brilliant. And uh, please analyze this and give me a table of areas I could improve. Put me areas I could improve, uh, examples of how to improve and why I should improve this. And it gives you a table and says like on your introduction, you should add a story. You should begin with a story. Uh, why? Because this will engage the reader, for example. And uh, I, j- I just saw this example on someone else's thing. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm stealing, uh, just letting people know. <laughs> and then you go and you put the story in. It's yours. Mm-hmm. Then it doesn't really matter. It's yours. Like uh, ChatGPT does not own the thing. And then, then you're really using ChatGPT as a collaborator, a collaborator that's like helping you write mm-hmm. better. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're still retaining like the full authorship of the thing. So I think that that's really powerful. So one of the things that, and thank you for that really kind of full description and breaking down, breaking down the process. This is one of the things that you're really good at, Neria. But for me, that's so. There's still a couple of questions there, I guess. Like we've been talking about copyright, and we cannot exhaust that particular topic on this podcast because I think there are a lot of there are still a lot of things to think around, think about in terms of copyright. So one of the things I find myself thinking about is the boundary between, and I accept what you're saying about, you know, authorship and, and, and copyright, but when you are playing with prompts and asking generative AI to collaborate with you as a research assistant, as a outliner, as, you know, a kind of thought partner, where's the boundary between the ideas that Let's just go with ChatGPT, although there are lots of tools and we'll get to those. Where's the boundary between the ideas that ChatGPT shares as, you could add a story here, or you could, you could reframe this particular paragraph. Where's the boundary between that and kind of pulling generic formulaic frameworks that are already out there? into your work in a way that is going to, you know, everything is going to regress to the mean, <laughs> in a sense. Everything is going to become even more homogenized than content already is. And I say homogenized because, you know, one of the things, of course, that we know about generative AI is that it it does reproduce gender bias and, you know, kind of ignores disparities in terms of how people communicate and cultural differences and so on. And so isn't there, this is a very long question, isn't there a danger that when we are kind of using generative AI to be our thought partners, to be our collaborators, that we are simply reproducing stuff that's already out there that itself doesn't reflect the full menu and richness of cultural and ethnic and gendered text and communication okay so i think that is <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know it was a long question <laughs> it's it's a brilliant question and there was a point earlier this year when i was thinking a lot about ai and um and thinking how these systems are going to become better and i was like this means that at some point in time <laughs> Will this mean, I imagine, this future, uh, a future point in some t- point in time that everything we read is the same, right? Everything is AI generator, right. generated and 
And then like, what's, what's the value in that? Right. So, and then like, and, and, and my next thought was then that we will really appreciate the imperfect, uh, human created, uh, stuff, imperfect in quotes, the same way that you can have a, a machine, uh, made, uh, weave basket, but maybe you would prefer a handmade one or, or things like that. So, so that is one point. I don't know, uh, is, is, is the answer. I think that the way I see us using AI is AI is our collaborator. It is not <laughs> replacing us. And, and let me go back to principles. Let me make an analogy with principles of writing because, uh, this is important, right? So there are, there is this book. I think it's called They Say, I Say, which is teaching scientists. I think it's all academics, actually, how to construct arguments, right? So when they say A, I say B. And it gives like all these formulas for how to phrase your arguments. And one of the criticisms is like, uh, then all arguments will be very formulaic and there won't be actual innovation. And the truth is when you're trying to teach people how to write, how to reason, sometimes it is good to start with formulas. It is good to mm-hmm. start with boundaries. Boundaries then let you be very creative within those boundaries. And once you really understand the rules, that is when you can break the rules in a way that is constructive, right? So I, I think that beginning things with, uh, this is a formula, like beginning with story, because I teach science communication and I, mm-hmm. I focus a lot on the beginning. Uh, and I say, if you're going to script, some people like to script, some people don't like to script. It is okay. You can be the person. But I always advise people to script the beginning and to script the end. And I give formulas for the beginning and I give formulas for the end. And one of the typical formulas is start with a story. It's just one of the mm-hmm. things that we do. And they work. It works to start with a story if you want to captivate your audience. It, it really works. And that is, it is not bad advice. Do you see what I mean? But it doesn't mm-hmm. mean that you, you don't have to only do what the AI tells you to do. Number one. Yeah. And that is the value that you bring. What is the value that you bring to this whole process is you bring your perspective, your human perspective, your human sensibility and your cultural knowledge. And you're like, uh, like this inkling, like this feeling that uh, something is missing here. Thanks for listening. If you'd like a generative AI cheat sheet that you can use in your own work, then see the link in the show notes and get your own copy. Next up on Right Medicine, a First Friday episode featuring Joanna Pendergrass, who'll be sharing her journey from vet to medical writer. A positive experience, for sure. See what I did there? Until then, stay curious and keep learning. <laughs>